I guess that's the excitement of mm. digital versus totally analog agree. is mm-hmm. that it's it's the risk and the risk is exciting to do it again because that might have been the best take. And welcome to the EarFuel Podcast. My name is Joel Freemark, and as always, you can follow me on Twitter at, at @thedailyguru and at GetEarFuel. What you heard at the top was part of the interview I did with the band's soccer team a few weeks back. They have a brand new record out, and before we get to the interview I did with them, well, well, let's let's talk about that brand new album. It's by Soccer Team, and it's called Real Lessons in Cynicism. Now, if you don't know Soccer Team, your ears are going to really, really love you when you change that, and I suggest you change that right away. Originally comprised of just two people, Ryan and Melissa, their first album was called Volunteered Civility and Professionalism. It was released back in 2006, and then a little bit after that, the band went on an indefinite hiatus because Ryan moved out of state. Anyone who heard that first record was, well, like myself, very disappointed that there wouldn't be another soccer team album. It was and is an extraordinary record, and it it just kind of sort of became, at least for me, one of those great what-ifs. You know, what if they made another soccer team record? How cool would that be? And that's really how things were. There weren't any rumblings or anything like that until 2014, when kind of out of nowhere, they released a three-song 7-inch that was awesome, and on October 27th, they're going to release a brand new album. Now, after nearly a decade apart, it would be safe to expect that there was going to be some rust or that maybe they they grew too far apart musically to really capture that great sound again. But that expectation is completely shattered within the opening notes of the album and the addition of keyboards to their sound. It becomes one of the best elements of the record, to tell you the truth. They really run the entire sonic gamut throughout this album as the instrumentation goes from full force, larger rock sounds to completely minimalist tracks and every single one of them works brilliantly. Along with that, you're going to find that a different instrument drives each of the songs, and often it's just the vocals that drive things, and not many bands can pull off that sort of diversity. The vocals for me, though, were always one of the best parts of Soccer Team. The harmonies that Ryan and Melissa find, they're just... They're wonderfully unique, and they really force you to rethink the entire idea of harmonic structure at times. They're just, they're great. You have to check them out. But musically, there's these almost gothic, cold moments like the song Short-Term Expectations. Then you have really, really stripped down pieces like If You Were Here that play brilliantly against the louder rockers like Nose to Chin. And then you've got this almost like angular smashing on the song Dinner with Derelicts. Soccer Team also delivers really catchy tunes like Lazy Colonist and Best Employed New Bow, and these are the sort of songs they're just not going to leave your head, and you won't mind, trust me. There's also a reworking of the song Here's Why Dancers Smoke. It was on the first record, and there's a totally different version here, and we're actually going to talk about the second version during my interview, so I won't waste time with that. But you also have the song Too Many Lens Flares. It transcends so many genres and styles, and the lyric that says it's too bad when genres fall prey to its fans, ugh, I know they're talking about movies, but it certainly applies to music as well. Great lyric. All in all, at just 35 minutes, it's very economical, but it doesn't leave out a single necessary element. These songs, they're they're punk rock in how condensed they are and just how perfectly they play. It leaves you wanting more, but I suppose that's why the repeat button exists, right? The music is the epitome of the meaning creative from beginning to end, and the way the vocals work around the instrumentations is just... This, to me, is what great music is all about. It's absolutely one of my favorite records of 2015, so go over to discord.com and grab a copy. Thank me later. 
So that all being said, a few weeks ago, I was down in Arlington, Virginia, and Ryan, Melissa, and Jason were kind enough to make some time to sit down and talk with me about the band, the music industry, and tons of other cool stuff. So sit back and relax as the magic of technology transports us to the kitchen table at Discord House, where I had a chat with Soccer Team. I love it. I actually used to, I used to uh, record on DATs. Old Datman and I'm from right the old yeah. the old Sony D8s and stuff. Yeah. Um, and when they said, "Hey, you can have more," you know, they, these are live, fully powered inputs and everything, and you know, it can take up to a 32 gig card. I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll gladly get rid of my Datman for that." Yeah, good deal. So, um, yeah, was did you guys record digital or was that an analog recording for the new album? Both. Yeah, it's both. We did. Uh, the skeleton of the record was recorded, the basic tracks, all on uh, analog first. Mm -hmm. So we have a Tascam 388. Uh, so it's half-inch tape. No, not half-inch. Quarter-inch. Quarter-inch tape and eight tracks. Um, and we did in the summer of 2013. I think only seven tracks worked, though, right? No, I think I think they were all working for this. Oh, moment. okay. Yeah. But is, wasn't that also how you started the first record on the same machine? Or yeah, yeah, it's a different machine. No, it's the same machine. So the first record was done as a mixture of the uh, Tascam 424, the cassette recorder, mm -hmm. and the eight track. And then this one, we we use the same machine to do the foundation of the record. So so I would play. Uh, Jason and I are teachers. So we had the summer off. So in the summer, I worked with Dennis. Dennis works at night. That's why he's not here now. Uh, I would work with Dennis on recording analog. Uh -huh. And we would do bass and drum tracks. Sometimes I would do bass and it would be a scratch track. And then Melissa would play the actual bass. Or sometimes we'd just leave it. Mm -hmm. um, but basically we were trying to get drum takes out of Dennis in those days. And then there are some songs that I played drums, in which case Dennis took over. But between the two of us, we would make this sort of foundation, mm -hmm. and then Jason would come in uh, intermittently, do some guitar, do some whatever they the song needed yeah. at the time. Yeah, and then Melissa did the same thing. When Melissa came home from work, um, I, I would live, just I live with Dennis, so okay. it's in our basement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sorry about that. Should have should have clarified. <clears throat> no, it works. But yeah, we would. So when Melissa would come, yeah, all this happened in Melissa and Dennis's basement. Uh huh. And then, but I would be there like all day, like recording, and then Melissa would come home. Dennis would leave for work. And then Melissa would come home, and, and I'd be, like, covered in my own <laughs> filth because it was so hot down there. Yeah, like, yeah. okay, let's record this now. Um, uh -huh. So we did, and the, and the idea was we would load all eight tracks up and fill as much analog as we could. Okay. And that's what we did. And then we had everything pretty much, like, as a, uh, the foundation of everything on the record was analog, with, with the exception of vocals and then certain overdubs. Overdubs, yeah. Yeah. Overdubs being like another guitar part or mm -hmm. another keyboard part or something. Both Jason mm -hmm. and Melissa play keyboard stuff. Dennis does too. It was kind of all hands on deck. Yeah, it sounds like everybody's kind of a multi-instrumentalist. Whatever needs to be done can get done. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, and it wasn't any like, I don't think there were any like sort of hurt feelings about like, oh, you played, you played I my part. I do that big. Yeah, like yeah. that sort of thing. I don't whatever, think... whatever ends up sounding the best. There were a lot of... Like even if you go through the demos, there were a lot of tracks where Dennis played drums on a song, and then you played drums on the same song, and then we'd listen back and just try to decide which yeah which works mm -hmm. best. Because when Dennis and I were alone trying to do the the foundation of this thing, like we we were very very open to like 
which which whoever can play it the best. Yeah. Um, and there were there were times when like for example like Dennis would get uh, there was one song you know every drummer goes through this where the first time through it you got really close to nailing it but you were <laughs> totally vibing like that's that's that should have been the take yeah and then you're like no I got a better one in me right right you keep <laughs> and then you it. and then yeah and then you just keep going and then by like seriously by like six like you should like by the sixth time through the song. You've, you're toast. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then and, it starts going real downhill. Yeah, it gets it gets really bad. And those were, you know, and like I watched because Dennis like won't quit. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So like, um, you know, you just go for the ride. Every, but I'm not saying this to pick on Dennis. Everybody's been through it. I play drums on a bunch of records, and I've been there. You know, like I I would every t- single time, like okay. I'm speeding up the song. Everybody's telling me I'm speeding up the song. Every single person has told me I'm speeding up the song, so I'm going to slow it down. And sure. My brother, when I was in a band, my brother, he'd start the guitar, and I'd be like, okay, nice and nice and easy now. Nice and easy. Like, it goes so fast. Sure. But that's the gamble of, uh, is, of analog, is that you have you may have the best take but you might have that itch that you can do it better and then you have to make that decision you're going to go ahead and tape over what you just did right and, and that's that's really the that's the really i guess that's the excitement of digital versus totally analog agree. is that it's it's the risk and the risk is exciting to do it again because that might have been the best take Hopefully, what's left is the best take, and usually, after you listen to it, it, it <laughs> becomes the take that you are used to. On this, Jason's right, but for so you know, and everybody that's recorded analog knows this. But for for us, we had very limited tape, so there pretty much there would be like at the most two versions of something, like which one is like when we had to weigh like which one is better. It. Yeah, yeah, and it would be there would be two of them. Like that one's pretty good. I'll try it again. But if we're gonna do a third take, we'd actually have to erase yeah. something. You uh-huh. know what I mean? Um, but Jason's right. The gamble actually it's it's part of the joy of of, of analog. Um, I mean I'm not gonna poo-poo digital necessarily, uh, but I'm when I used to do four track stuff all the time, mm-hmm. I I used to really get a thrill out of bouncing your chord three tracks and bounce those three in mono onto sure. the, onto the fourth track. And then like that's you it. have to nail it. Yeah. Like that's that's the mix, and then you build from there with the other, you know the other three tracks. Um, <laughs> there are robots stalking us here. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. it's it, the idea of just you're, you're forced text. you're, so you're forced to make choices, which mm-hmm. is the beauty of analog yeah, recording. Yeah, the, we um, the the bouncing the tracks. I learned a, a lot from that. I actually, I it's something that. <laughs> just the whole thing about like committing mm-hmm. like you have to commit to this this is uh this is your song yeah like that's the and with this is the other thing that we wanted was like this sort of like like it's not necessarily like dude can you hear my guitar can you hear my kick drum can you hear my you know what i mean like that's the fight that bands get into all the time the sort of sonic perfection but the the records that i respond to the most are always the ones that sound like this squishy mesh mm-hmm. of song where uh, maybe you can single out everything if you really got into it, but that's not what's important. The, what's important is, is the, the whole, yeah, yeah, it's the whole, the mess of it, you know, the tune itself. So I like. All it's that in the tune. mud. The magic's in the mud. Yeah, the I think I think we've mud. talked about that before. The magic's yeah. in the mud. Yeah. So with with kind of uh, everybody working different schedules and different combinations, 
how do you guys actually write songs? Because sonically, they are, I, I, I hate to use the term unique, but they're so unique. And even every track on the new record and, and the first record, uh, there's just such a diversity in sound. Does that come from kind of people dropping in and out in a way? Well, thanks for saying diversity. Yeah. <laughs> I, I started wondering if every song kind of sounds the same. Oh, no, 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 no. You do, you do not have to worry about that at all. Uh, no. That's nice to hear. Um, how do we how write does the songs? Song, how does the song well, begin, Ryan? Ryan? Ryan writes 99% of the songs. Um and then, you know, when we practice, they sometimes morph slightly or, mm -hmm. you know, we'll have each have our own ideas. That we've... It's a it's a great mm -hmm. question because it sets us up for this thing that that we're doing on the release of this record, which is um, along with the release is uh, a Bandcamp page that has all the very earliest demos yeah. of all the songs. <laughs> and so actually you can nice. hear how a song really from idea it's funny i forgot about it you're right that <laughs> is going on yeah I, I just no but it's it's, it's great because i i've never really seen anyone do yeah. it do it <laughs> so much put so much work into it this is it's actually cool because really every cool. track has like a blurb written sort mm -hmm. of about the history of the song and sort of where it came from and I, you know how it changed <laughs> yeah i mean that's one of the big things that's missing to me with digital is that you know a couple years ago when the stooges released like that nine disc box set of i think it was the heavy liquid sessions and you got to hear you know like maybe a 45 second version when they were building the song to me that that's where the yeah. magic is is finding how did it get yeah. to this place and when, when ryan put together the band camp that we're gonna make public when a record comes out um i was actually really awesome to go back and hear the earlier versions and some of it i was like man why did we even why did we even keep going? Like, why did we just like, stop this, this with is, the scrappy demo? The magic is there. It's a bad idea. Yeah, because yeah. some of it, it just, like, descended into, like, create like the best weird crazy uh -huh. yeah. like, like yeah. guitar <laughs> crap. It was really yeah, good. Yeah, some really noisy <laughs> yeah. crap on that. The, uh, the, the writing of the songs is, it really is sort of, you know, by any means necessary. Mm -hmm. um, when I had a house, because uh, I live in an apartment now, but when I lived in a house, every single day i would come home from work and just play music and then like if you if i had a scrap of an idea i would record it mm -hmm. um and that was it like every every day was just another thing of like another potential song do you know what mm -hmm. i mean uh and it's not that i'm sitting on a bunch of songs because pretty much everything <laughs> everything's out <laughs> but um but it's like i was just constantly working on the on the stuff uh and in an apartment I mean, the way I used to do it was I would either play bass or guitar. Usually I'd start on guitar and I'd come up with a riff. Then I would play drums to that riff. And then I would do a scratch melody mm -hmm. um, and, the, and then try to figure out lyric stuff later. But I, would, I never wanted the, mel the vocal melody to be an afterthought. Like I wanted it to be, I will solidify the lyrics later, but the melody has to be, the vocal melody to me, I want it to be like part of, I don't want it to be after, afterthought. No. I want it to mm -hmm. be like a, a riff. I want it to be like memorable. Yeah, it's it's, it's, it's yeah. music as much as the actual music. Exactly, because yeah. we grew up in the in the '90s. There were a lot of bands that would just like write constant, like basically write instrumentals, and then put the yeah. vocals on it. Right, it, it, there was a, there was a space in between them. You could hear it. And I I often thought I could yeah I, I often thought I could I could hear it on the record. Mm -hmm. um, so with with this band, like it's always been, even though the vocals don't happen right away. Except in a couple cases, some of them happened like instantly. I was mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. just vibing out. But 
I would do, so in the apartment now, what I do is I play it like a, a riff and then I'll hum something and then I get my computer and I used to be four track doing this, but now mm -hmm. it's just, I pull up the computer and I record the roughest way possible just to get the idea down. And then sometimes I can't because I mostly, most of my life was, I played drums. So I need a beat to follow and I can't, I haven't figured out how to do uh, the drum machine shit uh -huh. from fucking, uh, <laughs> yeah. whatever. <laughs> garage band or whatever <laughs> so like a lot of times on the demos you'll hear me going like mm -hmm. or and, i'll do clap and speeding, and speeding up too stomping much and clapping yeah. yeah just stomp and clap so uh -huh. there's like on that band camp thing that's going to come out you'll hear claps all over the place yeah. and that's like i just need a drummer so i'm just being doing that and, and when you're doing the uh the vocals do you hear the harmonies because the harmonies you guys put in there yeah they're never, they're never in the same place <laughs> like the only thing I can compare it to is when Natalie Merchant sings with David Byrne from Talking Heads, and their their vocals just take these really cool harmonies. And and uh, do, does it just happen when you guys are actually I, singing, or I think I don't know. Ryan and I, have, I think, have always had really similar I don't know musical tastes, and so especially in like when we when I first started hearing the stuff that Ryan was working on, instantly. I was always hearing a melody. Like, mm. it's just kind of, yeah, it, pretty much everything you write, I can always hear melody. Sometimes it's different than what you come up with, and sometimes I like yours better. But then whatever vocal melody we go with, I can always hear harmonies to that. It just comes really easily. So, so on the demos, the harmonies would be, like, when I harmonize with myself, when I'm recording by myself, some of them are, are okay. Do you know what I mean? And then, and I bring them, and I bring them to the band and I say, here's the demo for this. Let's work mm -hmm. on this or whatever. Um, Melissa rarely does the dem the, the harmony that I did on the, on the demo <laughs> or maybe even never. And it's like, and I prefer it because Melissa hears something else. Sure. Um, and like her trying to like do my weird voice, you know, like I don't have the golden pipes, you know, like her trying to actually do my thing would be just terrible. But I never, I, I never expect what Melissa does to a song. And it's always been that way. Like, as soon as she sings on something, I'm like, yeah, it's a song now. <laughs> like, now we've got it. Yeah, it's like, a, it's it's always pretty pretty thrilling for me. Uh -huh. There are some songs, um, a song called Mental Anguish is Your mm -hmm. Friend. I had no idea w what to do with vocals there. And I gave Melissa a cassette version of it. And she came back like the next day. It was very, very quick turnover. That song wrote itself. Like yeah. I, I heard your guitar riff and I was like, yeah, got it. When I, like, and when I was... wrote the riff, I was just like, it's impossible to put vocals on this. <laughs> just give it to Melissa. It'll be an instrumental. <laughs> so, like I can't, I just couldn't hear, I couldn't hear a uh -huh. thing. I couldn't hear anything on it. So when I, I, I said, you got something? She's like, yeah, I'll come over. <laughs> she drives over and she records like, I mean, it was so fast for recording vocals on that, on that song. And I remember setting up the mic and letting the tape run and like she's wearing headphones, I'm wearing headphones and me going, oh, 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 well, okay. Like I had no idea what was sure. going to happen. It's <laughs> thrilling. Uh, and there were some moments on this, like most of did harmonies on stuff that uh, some of them are, are full blown out there and mm -hmm. you can totally hear them. Some of them are really, really subtle. And, but those, those moments always kind of make the song for me. I'm a fan. Absolutely, and and since the leads are also shared, when you're writing the melodies and you're hearing it, do you hear? Are you like, okay, this is a song for Melissa? Or honestly, I want a lot of times I want Melissa to sing more than me, mm -hmm. and the balance is 
is more in my favor. But like in my mind, everything I do, like I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather Melissa just oh. take over. No, but it's like, but I write a barrage of lyrics. Like the lyrics are like there's so much, and then, like, <laughs> yeah. then I feel kind of bad. It's like, man, just memorize all that crap. <laughs> okay, I'll sing it. I'll sing it. I guess. Like it's. Nah, there's a lot of stuff. It just works better if Ryan. Like there's just songs where I think his voice. I think it's usually to me very to me it's very obvious like who will sound better in right. different parts. But you know, you have this kind of dream of like you sing it this night, I sing it this night, uh-huh. or something like that. You know, and just just let yeah. it be. When and then you know I get on the mic to sing one of Melissa's songs, and you see the audience like, oh no, please. Don't. Don't do that. <laughs> why, why are you singing the closed record store? That's not your song. <laughs> We've never done that, but I'm uh-huh. just saying it'll happen. That's the danger. It'll happen. Right? <laughs> And that, yeah, you'll just have really odd looks from the whole yeah, audience. Like, I like I like switching it up though when we uh-huh. play live. If we can, yeah, I think we actually talked about doing the, one of the newer songs that we haven't played live yet. We were actually gonna swap who does the vocal uh-huh. parts yeah. just because it works better or easier when we're trying to play live. So uh, it was obviously what nine years between records. Um, yes. <laughs> yes. So it really goes wow. by fast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when you guys just started playing together again, was it natural or, you know, was there some rust to knock off? It'll, honestly, probably a little bit both. When well, you we, were away for bulk at that time. Yeah, I was, yeah, I went away, well, I was away for six, <laughs> six years. Yeah. Um, and doing other bands and other things. <laughs> yeah. But I came back to town and Melissa and I worked on some of the stuff that we hadn't released yet. Mm-hmm. And we did the seven inch with Love It. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, and Dennis... then I and then I applied to play at South by Southwest for some reason, and then we were like, "Congratulations, you have a show!" And that's when we were like, "Oh, I guess we better we, we better figure band. this out." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But we so like we played. Yeah. We did we did the first record and we played live. And yeah. Justin Moyer played drums with us. Uh-huh. And then when when I moved back back to town from Michigan because I was there for five I think five years maybe six years I can't remember, mm-hmm. but. When when I moved back, we did the seven inch while I was in Michigan, mm-hmm. and then when I came back, we started playing right away because of this South by Southwest thing. Yeah. And we, uh, and we played with Mark Cisneros on drums. On drums. Yeah. But I'd say working together, like writing songs, writing new songs, has been the same. The changes have been like the addition of Jason and the addition of Dennis. Mm-hmm. You know, Dennis we worked with uh, as a recording engineer on the seven inch. Uh huh. But then him playing drums with us was and, was and new playing territory. drums was new essentially to Dennis too. Like he, you know, he I think he you know he can he's one of those people who can like pick up anything and play it yeah. pretty well. But yeah. but I think playing drums just like specifically was a a challenge for him, and that's why he was kind of interested in playing with us. Uh-huh. Yeah, it was something new for him to tackle. Yeah, but I so but the songwriting has been I'd say it's been pretty similar. Would, We're all the same you? people, yeah. and, and we've all been friends for so long. And, and it's it's been like I mean the, the great thing about soccer team from the from the moment we started playing when it was just Melissa and even now that it's you know with Dennis and mm-hmm. Jason the thing that has maintained has been everybody's pretty open to what's coming through the door. I think there's know? a lot of trust too. I mean I feel like Ryan will have a, a pretty raw sounding song like he'll know like where it's going, but. Then he'll just say like Jason, like do something here, or like yeah. or like this is where Jason should work. do do something crazy here. Yeah. Like I love when you do something crazy. <laughs> yeah. Just do something crazy. Yeah. Do your crazy yeah. thing. Do that crazy thing you do, and so and well, I love that you know that 
these guys just will will trust us to help make a song better or put it, push it into a unexpected direction. Mm-hmm. And Jason, you know, I'm talking about him like he's not here, but Jason is one of these. One of these, <laughs> love this guy. No, one of these guys that oh. one, like a type of musician who, uh, and we played together even before soccer team too. So I've known this about him, but he's a guy that actually isn't afraid to like jam and try to find something, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're in practice and there is a moment to actually you know, work on a part that doesn't exist yet, Jason will go into things that are melodic, and then he'll just go into things that aren't melodic, things that are dissonant, things that don't work, and then bring it back to what's work. and he's fine with it. Like, for me, I could probably do that if I'm keeping a beat and playing drums, but if I didn't know where I was going on guitar in front of everybody, I would be like, can I go home and work on this, and then I'll come back? <laughs> like, yeah. um, because just, like, kind of jamming and trying to find that thing I feel like I'd be driving everybody crazy. Yeah, you know? I've always been way too self-conscious yeah. to uh, jam or try new stuff in front of other people. Right, but with so that's that's been another sort of great thing with Jason. And the the other thing about like including like the inclusion of Jason was that the um, he played guitar in this band, Motorcycle Wars, mm-hmm. and Motorcycle Wars was uh, you know a joke band. Sorry. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> it was like the best, the best, the best joke, joke band yeah, ever. It's just, I mean, no, but it was, it was very funny. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, the vocalist, Clark, he didn't, he never had solidified <laughs> lyrics ever, um, but they would make it through their set every night. Bonnie, Improv. the drummer, she, she hadn't played drums before, as far as I know, and uh, she was really just figuring it out, like, with every show. <laughs> and Jimmy definitely had never held a bass before, um, and he played that with one finger. <laughs> um, yeah. Like, but Motorcycle Wars was this thing that was, like, super killer. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. it was, it, it was, they were a force, uh, and a cacophony, and, <laughs> and uh, they were frayed and all this kind of stuff. But Jason was the glue like usually it's like a drummer like Mm -hmm. you know your band's only as good as your drummer like that's the backbeat sort of thing in this case and i'm not saying anything bad about bonnie but in this case the band was falling apart at every (laughs) level running off the road (laughs) except all the time jason would have his legs kind of spread with his guitar really low Uh like you know like ramon style style. and his hair his hair was in his face and you could just see like him just working through the riffs and it was so killer so like so part of that um, when when ryan says the band was falling apart it was also like in the most epic yeah. Amazing sure. way. Like it was it was such a amazing It's it's thing true to watch. creation at, yeah. at its most raw. Yeah. Right. But those so but to have this thing and like Motorcycle Wars is a far cry from soccer team, but to have this like Jason style of playing where he's holding it together, right? And he knows when the music I mean if I'm really gonna dissect it and sound nerdy, he knows when it can get frayed mm-hmm. and get insane and then bring it back to this, you know. There's always like a there's like a, a level of slop that is acceptable and good because that's where I, slop is a bad way to put it but that's no, where the soul is yeah do you yeah. know what i mean that's it's just something like you lean into like this thing yeah I mean, i've always been a fan of scrappier mm-hmm. especially recordings um yeah. if things are after a while things start sounding too slow. although there are records of course that i love that are super produced and super slick yeah but um that's not something that no, we no, can do. you want a good level of grime yeah. a little bit of grit to it so you can you can feel the record out Speaking of kind of the, the, the first record and the second record, you redid Here's Why Dancers Smoke. It's a different version. Yeah, we did that because uh, we've never played it, the fast version of that. Like the, uh-huh. the original version, we've never played it like that live. 
Okay. Um, so, uh, in fact, I did that as a demo. If you listen to the original version on the first record, you can actually hear my furnace kick on at the end of the song. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm like, fade it out. <laughs> like, it's like, it's, um, and I tried. I was like, I, I love this song. I, I think it's charming. And I tried yeah. over and over and over again to make a clean version of that based on the demo. And it sucked every time. <laughs> and so when we were putting out the record, I was just like, that's that version is the version. So that's that's, that's actually the demo that that is yeah, on the album. Yeah, but that's that's the only version well, that actually worked. The demo was was on the very first yeah. record. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one, we started. I think when we were playing shows way way back, you were just kind of joking around. You started playing it real slow. Yeah. And then we immediately just started singing, and I yeah. was like, oh, that kind of works. <laughs> yeah, it, it totally. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was great, and and that was yeah when Justin was playing drums with us. Um, yeah. But that's the only way we played it live. We mm-hmm. played it like that. We also did it. Just the two of us. We played a, a set at Galaxy Head, which was yeah. just Melissa and I. With no and we played, yeah. and we played that song that way. I like that song on the record. It has this like bridge, this heavy, this heavy section. And if if you hear, notice that there's a very high harmony, and the only person who could hit this super high note was actually Dennis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Dennis is like, I want to do it all Beach Boys style. So yeah. he's like, oh. So, like, because these guys are doing this harmony, and it's pretty, and, and then Dennis, like, he had this vision, like, it needed something even higher, yeah. but mm-hmm. no one could go up in the stratosphere, and then he, he was, like, able to just <laughs> nail this super high note. Yeah. But it's real and put enough put yeah. enough reverb on it just yeah. to get it, just to get it, no, in it's there, a the Beach Boys hook. Yeah, like if yeah. you listen to it, if you listen to that one part of the song, it's pretty cool. You can hear yeah. him like as it's as the part is sort it's of kind descending. Of decaying, it's like, yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally it's really a subtle nod. Yeah. 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 Um, and it was, <laughs> and that was great to watch Dennis do that. So you know, you you move from almost minimalist arrangements like that to just these really robust and and full sounds all across the record when you were. When you were doing it, were you conscious that wow, these are you know that far apart? Did it make tracking, uh, doing the track order on the record difficult, just trying to fit them together? Um, you mean like the sequencing of, yeah, the, of the record, yeah, yeah. like the order? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Because <laughs> we spent a lot of time on the sequencing, trying to trying to see how one song could go into mm-hmm. another. Yeah. And I, I you love that. you love that. I hate it. I hate it so much. No, but it's like sequencing is really important to me. Yeah. Like it mm-hmm. does have to lead you, I think, somewhere. Yeah. Um, really, our RMO was just uh, listening to like, does the song go into the next song? Uh-huh. Does yeah. the song like? You don't want everything to be like fast. Here's a slow one. Here's a fast one. Here's sure. a slow one. Sure. Like it has to be this, you know, sort of coast around like that. But the first track was that was Ian listening to the record and. Yeah. He, I when we when I gave a copy of the record to Ian, I had no idea if he would even be interested in putting it out. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. at all, it wasn't like a, it's done here it's, you go, you know. Yeah. But it was more just um. We're on the label. Yeah, you yeah, have to put yeah. this out. <laughs> like it wasn't. No, we were we were very much like you know like, if if Discord wants to put it out, we would love that. But yeah, I don't even think I even said that. I think I was. I think I had told him that we were just about done mixing and he's like oh I'd love to hear it and I was like oh um, okay like I don't know I just didn't really I don't know I guess sometimes I just don't like to expect things mm-hmm. but um but then when he gave me his feedback that was like the one thing that he he wanted the first track first and I was like okay if you're if, you, if you'll put it out and we do sure. that of course then, sure yeah. that was 
I'd say that that was my original intention was to have that song. When, oh, we, really? first, when we first started recording, that was the huh. the song that because the demo of that song is is a minute, maybe less less mm-hmm. than a minute. But that's when I was fully like, oh, we're, we're making a record <laughs> like this. Like I got really really excited uh-huh. about about that. And that song is a crazy ride of how that song like uh, Jason actually brought this. <laughs> fully developed song to us that I put vocals on mm-hmm. and then we just kept pulling back and back when we tried to play it as a band it just wasn't clicking as a band and we just kept going back and simplified back simplified and simplified yeah. into Until bass a song that really is just bass and vocals yeah, yeah. but it was actually like a, a full keyboard song yeah. initially yeah. but it, it ended up just not working that way it worked how we we yeah. stripped it down made just ended up making more sense yeah the song Felt and right. also, if you, if, um, it's the first song in the record, the problem, is it problems? Yeah. yeah. Um, but the Ryan in my vocals going back and forth, that was another weird happy Especially, accident yeah, yeah, that mis- happened. A mistake that was. It was a, <laughs> a tape machine <laughs> mishap. Yeah. Well, no, really? I, well, I did yeah. on the, on the A track, I just played, I just played the beat and then I played the, and then I played the bass while Melissa was at work and I just recorded bass and drums. And the idea was that I would play this thing and then have Jason put his keyboards on it and we developed this thing and I had the vocals all worked out, but I wanted Melissa to sing it, mm-hmm. right? So, and I had, the, I had the lyrics and Melissa hadn't really heard the melody, so I did a scratch track for the melody while, of the melody while Melissa was at work. But I didn't time it right. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I just, I just kind of threw it on there, like, you know, as soon as the song started, like, I just started singing or whatever. And then Melissa listened to it, figured out what it was. We pulled my vocals out. And then she did it right, where she, like, waited for before she started singing instead yeah. of, like, this, like, blurting it out. So my vocals were, like, all over the place on the tape. They were Kind off. of buried. Yeah. Off. And then when we mixed it, like, we, I mixed it with her, but, the tr- like, my track was, like, halfway up. And it did this, like, almost, like, in a round yeah. effect. And then we were, like, oh, yeah, like, the look on Ryan's face when you're like, oh, oh. and then we're both kind of like, this is kind of cool. Kind of weird, yeah. kind of yeah. cool. What's wrong with it? Yeah, um, cool. I mean, I'd love to say like, yeah, from the get-go, I just heard exactly. all these vocals. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it wasn't like that at all. It was just uh, me laying down a scratch track uh-huh. and then pulling it up at random. And it just, you know, because it was on beat, it matched. Right, yeah. so right. It just happened to be not the vocals that she was singing at all. And that's why that that piece of that song, the demo, is only a minute long because mm-hmm. it just got ruined. After <laughs> yeah. that. There's nothing you can do with it. And it gave us the idea. Uh-huh. The uh, the titles to both the albums and the songs are complex. They're not, you know, they, it's the only it's the only way to say it. Do do you have the titles beforehand? Do they, you know? Uh, I'd say no. The titles always come after the vocals mm-hmm. after the vocals are written. Okay. Um, and usually it'll be a reference. To what the what the song is about or it'll be something that's you know maybe just referencing the lyrics but it's kind of to amuse ourselves sure and but it amuses us to have a very long title kind of like the smiths you know sure stop me if you've <laughs> sure heard this one before something like isn't that the name of the song like something like that yeah like the smiths have a couple mm-hmm. s- yeah song yeah. titles that are actual sentences yeah you know and we don't want to do it all the time is the, and is that why the first album has a very lengthy title to it? The, the, first, the first album has Volunteered Civility and Professionalism came from... There's a song in that record called Traffic Patterns, yep. which, uh, which references this 
like I, I got attacked on a while I was riding my moped and part of that song that song came out of that this terrible experience I had where I got attacked I had to go to court mm-hmm. um, I had to be a witness to the crime against myself and I had to deal with you know the US attorneys and and all that that kind of thing mm-hmm. who defended me and and things that turned out okay well you weren't being defended but Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were prosecuting. Right, right, right. But I'm yeah. saying like it was like I mean I was I meant it in, te- in yeah. terms of like being taken care of. Sure. Right. But but it was it was really scary and and bad. But I had an email exchange with the the attorney and she wrote something at some point that she was being volunteered, you know, with quotes. I was she was being volunteered uh, to go to this thing on civility and professionalism or something like nice. that. And um because that song, like that song, meant a lot to me on the record, and that, and I thought that that email was particularly funny. <laughs> um, that's that's how that actually came up. I think you might be the only person who's ever asked me that. Yes, <laughs> that is what I aim for. I think for. it's the only yeah. And so and that song, like I don't like the song isn't like I got attacked, I got beat up, sure. I got you know, like it's not like anything like that. Yeah. But it's it's this thing of like like you get to know the traffic patterns as you come across the lights, the way the reds turn to green, right? And it's like when you're timing everything mm-hmm. and everything is falling in a line, like you can see the green or like it's about to turn green and you just make it and you just make it and you just make it. And the randomness like on a bike, cruising, doing that very thing and then just to be pulled off, yanked and mm-hmm. be attacked from out of nowhere, you know, jarred me completely. And the really nasty line on the record, which doesn't sound nasty at all, is so you've lived your life avoiding courts and lawsuits. It's mm-hmm. like... Yeah, great for you. Good for you. You've lived your life avoiding courts and like hooray, like the sort like um, I know it sounds like pity party for me, no. but it comes from like a pretty pretty angry place. Yeah. yeah. So that's the volunteered civility <laughs> There we go. Comes from that US attorney. There we go. Sorry. So it was nine years between albums one and two. Is it gonna be another nine years for album three? Oh, I don't know. Uh, hope not. Look into the future. <laughs> We're working on new stuff. Uh-huh. And um, I hope I hope that's not the case. Like we have a bunch of new ideas. Uh, we uh, we're gonna play a show in a couple of weeks, and we have new songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, that's the thing we've been working on the record that's about to come out for so long that sure. those songs seem really old at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, definitely. I, mean, I think with soccer team though is that it's like I to me it's mostly just like hanging out with people in a basement that I really like hanging out with. So. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like yeah. It's not this weight of the world pressure. Like we've got to get a release out. Yeah. Do the elbow. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like I just have fun playing with these guys, and you know, if we, yeah, if we, I think if we start like being all goal driven, it could, <laughs> it could yeah. be less than fun. So. My thanks again to Ryan, Melissa, and Jason for spending some time with me, and to everyone at Discord Records for making it happen, and well, for being the awesome people at Discord Records, right? Who doesn't love those guys? You can find tour dates and get your copy of the new record over at discord.com, so go do that now. Seriously, right now. Hit pause and go do it. Before I get out of here, I do, of course, have your weekly Ear Fuel listening assignment. For those of you new to the podcast, each week I assign an album to listen to in full without distraction. It comes from the idea that I believe music has become relegated to a background role. You're driving, you're at work, you're working out, whatever. And this is about taking time to listen to music just for the sake of listening to music. And this week's assignment is the self-titled album from Rites of Spring. 
Released on Discord Records back in 1985, this is really the beginning of emo core music, and no, it has nothing to do with Hot Topic or Dyed Hair. This is where hardcore music makes a bit of a left turn, and it remains a record I honestly couldn't live without. The band is anchored by the guitar of Eddie Janey, and the distortion, oh, it forces a smile onto your face, and really, it just gets you up, gets you invigorated, and it pulls you into this album so quickly. There's so much damn power from his sound, and it smashes brilliantly into the unparalleled rhythm section of Mike Fellows and Brandon Canty. The songs are just unrelenting, and countless bands have pulled some, if not all, of their influence from these guys. And of course, of course... You have the vocals of Guy Pachotto, and yes, for those of you doing math, that is half of what would become Fugazi, but we can talk about them later. Ferocity is an understatement when it comes to the music you find on this record with songs like For Want Of, Standing Today, as nothing short of anthemic as far as I'm concerned. It's just one of those tracks you can live a life around and it sticks with you forever. You've got songs like Other Way Around, Persistent Vision. I mean, these have all become classics and they overflow with emotions. And it's also the sort of music that makes you feel like like you found where you belong. I don't know. I can't explain it. To know this record is to love this record. And you can find this as the self-titled version or more recent releases are actually listed as end on end. And it has their 1987 7 inch tacked on to the end. Go get Rites of Spring. Your life will be better for it. So that's what we got for today. As always, you can find me on Twitter at at the Daily Guru and at Get Earfuel. We're over at SoundCloud.com slash Get Earfuel. And hey, uh, if you've got the iTunes iOS app, you can find us just simply as Earfuel. And uh, you know what? If you dug the podcast, do me a favor. Go tell a friend or three. All right. That's your weekly Earfuel. Share and enjoy. Enjoy.